Give me my call. Hello, this is Bo Buchanan, Arizona Lodge Number 2, and I am here, sitting here speaking on the level with Andrew Warienka. Andrew, I usually ask people to start out by introducing yourself. Tell me your name, the name of your Blue Lodge, and any office or title you have connected to that Blue Lodge. I am Andrew Warienka. Currently, I'm Secretary of Arizona Lodge Number 2. I'm past master of Arizona Lodge Number 2, past master and current master of Montezuma Lodge Number 35, and Senior Warden for Arizona Sunrise 88, the Daylight Lodge. And what other Masonic bodies are you a member of? I'm the chapter chairman of the uh, Dumoulin chapter, Phoenix chapter here that meets in the Masonic Temple. I also belong to the El Zariba Shrine, have been in several clubs at there. And you also have another pretty important role connected to where a couple of these lodges meet. Yes, I'm also the... Uh, corporate treasurer for the organization that owns the building, the Masonic Temple Association. I'm also the building manager for the building, so I handle all our inside residents and building needs and requirements and get everything taken care of. And you were actually the worshipful master the year I was raised. Um, tell me what year were you raised and in what lodge? I was raised in Arizona Lodge Number 2 and only as recent as 2001. So you've had your 15-year anniversary then? Yes. Okay, that's exciting. And uh, what was it, how, when did you first become aware of this thing called Freemasonry? When I was a small child. How, how uh, my father belonged to Montezuma Lodge. That's all. Your I, dad belonged to Montezuma? He was a 50-year member about the time wow. he passed. I had no idea. So I, I saw a lot of events going on at Montezuma. I knew all the members there. And I used to take my dad to that lodge when they were meeting over at the shrine. Uh, but, of course, they're back in the building here. And in the 60s, I was a member of the original Phoenix chapter Order of Demolay. As a young man? Yes. How old were I you? Would, I would assume a young man in the 60s. <laughs> of course. Uh, how old were you when you joined? 14. 14, Wow. And so did you? Did your dad prompt you getting in that, or was that? Well, yes. Uh, you know, it was an, a thing that went on here at the temple. I was, I came down for a lot of the Montezuma events. They did a lot of pancake breakfasts and dinners and stuff, and met the Demolay through that, and thought that was a neat thing to do. So my brother and I both went through the Demolay. I didn't know you had a brother. Now, is your brother actively involved in masonry? No, no. Okay, and uh, what? Although I might say that my two of my dad's brothers uh, were um, Masons, Shriners, and my dad was also Yorkite and Scottish Rite. Wow, I, that's that's impressive. And Order of the Eastern Star, along with my brother. Was, your, was, your, mo was, it, was your mother involved in the Eastern yes, Star? Yes, Laurel Chapter that met in this building. Okay, well, exciting. So, other than your family connections, I guess, what was it that drew you into Masonry? Well, I've always you know known about it. I've d kind of delayed getting in. I had a lot of my dad's friends ask me, how come I haven't asked my dad to join? And so I've been around. I was busy in getting my life together. But uh, I've always enjoyed the precepts of uh, masonry, the fellowship, the brotherhood, the good men, better men. Right. That's one thing that keeps coming up recurring. So is there one of the things we say in Freemasonry is uh, we take good men and make them better. Is there somebody in Freemasonry that stands out to you as embodying the kind of ideals we speak of or someone that really made a big impact on you? Well, there are quite a few brothers over the years. The, uh, 
One of the senior advisors in DMLA was Chuck Shoup, who was a member of Number Two, who also passed Grandmaster. And you know, he influenced influenced us as a youth quite a bit. I remember all my DMLA events and going to Conclave, and knew that eventually I would get there. Just how soon? And it just happened that I also went to high school with uh, some members of Number Two. That's why I went here instead of over to Montezuma. Okay. And speaking of your, so you've got some deep roots, deeper roots than I was aware of in Demolay. Last, I think it was last year, you helped start the Demolay chapter here in in the Phoenix Temple, right? Yes. Uh, Demolay International approved uh, us starting up a Demolay chapter here under the same name. They couldn't re- restart the original one that had drifted off in the 80s, but they gave allowed me to use the same name. So we got what do we call our letters temporary to start building. Meeting, we operate essentially as a regular DMLA chapter. But a different number? Right, a different number. Okay. 3009, I believe. <laughs> 3009. Tell me a little bit about, uh, you're, you're involved in so many different things in masonry. What's a day look like in the, in the life of Andrew Warianka related to masonry? Well, it just really depends on what's going on and what's needed at the time. It could be some building events, it could be talking to uh, suppliers or air conditioning thing uh, people are built uh, getting repairs done it could be uh, taking a look at uh, degree schedules for number two uh, if it's Montezuma I could be talking to the secretary and ask him if he's set up any any or investigation work as his follow-up on it uh, how is our candidate proficiency going how our mentorship is going uh, if it's uh, Arizona sunrise checking with the master on a regular basis as to where our new candidates are going, because we are getting a lot of new candidates for the Daylight Lodge. Tom, one of the things that stands out to me is the first time that I went to, I participated in a Masonic funeral, and you handle a lot of those. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I do quite a few of them. Uh, you know, my secretary predecessor, John Ruth, uh, did quite a few of them. He was head of the Sojourners. Um, I started working with him quite a bit, you know, back in early 2000s doing some funerals. And then uh, when I he was no longer doing any, I pretty much took it over. I do get a call from a lot of the funeral homes, and I take care of a lot of the, what we call sojourners, masons that are in the valley that aren't affiliated with a uh, local lodge. So, and if, even if they are, I will contact that lodge, see if they have a funeral team. If they don't, I'll certainly be willing to put it together and take care of the issues. If it's an out-of-state sojourner, I'll get a hold of his home lodge ask them if there's anything they wish us to present to the widow, any other certificates or anything. And I'll also, any things that I find in my uh, daily list is I subscribe to a, a clipping service. That anything that says Mason, Masonry Shrine, I get those names. And it can range from 150 to 250 names a day. A day? A day. Wow. And it's nationwide? All a, yeah, it's a nationwide obituary okay. service. Wow. And so you can check that against the database. So I take a look at it. Most of the names I could recognize real easy. And, uh, you know, we've only got about 7,000 Masons in Arizona. So a lot of those names I know because I've been to a lot of the lodges. <laughs> and what's the rule on who can have a... Any any Master Mason is, is allowed to have a Masonic funeral. Is that what the rule Any is? Master Mason, we, we kind of say in good standing, but even with that, we would do a Masonic funeral. You know, without... Uh, theoretically, you're, you're still in good standing because you do get uh, buried with your apron. Right. 
Can you tell me about a, and it doesn't have to be a funeral, of course, but can you tell me about an event or a time or something that's one of your better memories of Freemasonry, something that really stands out to you? Well, and actually, you brought up funerals. Funerals I really enjoy. I mean, it, it, they're, they're there to explain to all this, bro- this brother's friends what Masonry meant to him. And, uh, and that always kind of, it's hard not to tear up when you're doing a funeral service, even if you may not have known directly the, the uh, brother. Unfortunately, I know a lot of the brothers that we do services for. And, uh, and that leaves a longstanding impression. You know, I've enjoyed all the time with the shrine, all the body, brothers that I've met and done activities with, even the, uh, uh, you know, all our Blue Lodge events. It's enjoyable to get together. It's enjoyable to talk to brothers, older members. You get a lot of history out of them. So one of the things uh, I like the most is getting to know those older guys and just know, learning the history. I deliver uh, legacy pins. Essentially, you know, like 25, 50, 55, 60, 70, 70 year pins to brothers for their service in masonry. And that's always fun going to visit and sit down and talk to them when they can't come to lodge and get it presented and hear about interesting things going on. I had one brother and I sat down with him. He was a past master from number two, one of the, one of the youngest past masters we've ever had. And uh, at, after we started talking, found out we had a, a common background or interest. Uh, my brother was in a crane operator, a heavy equipment operator, and this particular brother, that's what he did, was heavy equipment operating. Mm. And so you get a lot of in, uh, commonality between the brothers that make, ties us together. You touched on it a little bit, but I'm, I want to ask the question directly. What is it that keeps you coming back to masonry again, day after day, year after year? Uh, it's it's masonry itself. It, it's a excellent, excellent fraternity. I like what it does for men and with men. I like to keep it going. Uh, there's a lot of history steeped in it. There's a lot of ancient tradition, and I enjoy the tradition. Going back to one of the other things we mentioned before about masonry makes good men better. It's a recurring theme I hear a lot from the brothers. How has masonry made you a better man? Ooh. There's a lot to it. There's a lot that's made me better. You know, the the Dean Malay starting there, it uh, gave me the leadership and speaking capabilities, and uh, and that was actually compounded by the college I went to that made me stand out and be able to stand in front of uh, hundreds of people and talk for hours. Uh, and and Blue Lodge Masonry helped build on that. I enjoy being with the Brotherhood. I enjoy working with them. Uh, I think all around it's made me a, definitely a better person. Is there anything different about Freemasonry than you expected when you were coming in? Not really, because I knew so much about it. As you, From your family, yeah. Uh, you know, although my father never asked you know, me to, to join with him, all his friends did. <laughs> How come you have, aren't there with your dad? Well, it just took a while. I actually participated in a lot of events in Masonry. Family stuff, yeah. yeah. Well, not only family stuff, but I mean, I'd go out to big shrine events and parades and be in it with them. Oh. Led the camels long before I was ever in there. Real camels? Yes. Oh, wow. I was the uh, uh, president of the camel unit, the Kaid. The camel unit. Yeah, I brokered camels. I rented camels, everything from bar mitzvahs to car lot openings. 
car lot openings. Wow. Yeah, I, I wish I could. Do you, guys, do you have a lot of pictures from that time or video or that kind of stuff or no? I've got some hard photos. I've got some, some video because uh, when the Levine parade would go on, I, uh, I was in a lot of the parades with the camel unit. One of the ways I enticed the shrine to start going to it was I held breakfast and lunch at my house. Uh, and, so, and you do still do something similar. It's, it's a little bit different, but you hold an annual event at your house now. And, and it is tied to the Levine Parade. It is, and okay. it's tied, All the Shriners are invited, neighbors and friends. And I think we've had we've done breakfast on the driveway before the parade and had as many as 85 people there. Uh, I've done a lot of the uh, lunches in my backyard, slow-cooked beef, chicken, burgers, and brats and stuff. For I think the top year we had 125 people in my backyard for lunch. Wow. And all friends and family and brothers. You have so many different pieces to your Masonic, sometimes we say career, Masonic career, the family history, the various different positions. And I asked this question to another brother, and I really liked the answer, so I'm going to ask it to you. What's your What's your mission in Freemasonry? Do you have something that's an end goal or an accomplishment or something you're working on this year or over the next couple years? Keep Masonry alive. Keep Masonry alive. Is it dying? Well, as with any fraternal organization, you have highs and lows. Um, you know, Masonry gets uh, shot in the arm after every good war. because The uh, soldiers come back and don't have that camaraderie. And so we get a, a pickup of members through that. And in between, we've got to work on it hard. So we're on a, a low ebb here of Masonry in Arizona, you know. At our high, we were probably about 16,000 Masons, and now we're about seven. Uh, I enjoy going to the different lodges, meeting everybody. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to say that I can't go anywhere and, and brothers there don't know me. I walked in, so we interviewed a guy out at uh, Phoenicia Lodge, their secretary. I don't know if you can remember his name, Van Steeter. Glenn, Glenn Van Steeter. So I literally walked in the door and I said, oh, introduce myself. Hey, and I said, oh, I'm Bo Buchanan, Arizona number two. And he says, oh, yeah, under the thumb of Andrew Warienka, huh? And I'm like, um, I'm sorry, do you not like Andrew? He says, no, I love Andrew. I just like to say that. And he just started talking, and I interviewed him. Man, he did not stop talking. He likes to talk. So I can't go anywhere without meeting somebody who knows you, for sure. And actually, Glenn's tied to the DMLA also. Yes, he did mention that. Yep, he's the one who first told me about the young man Thursday. He was telling me about the young man who's going to his third degree, and I'm kind of excited. I'm hoping I can do one of these interviews with him going to be kind of hectic and busy there. I know, I know. And I know he leaves for travel shortly after that. He's taken a year off and not going to college by being being the international master counselor. He's been to Europe, he's been to South America, and he travels around the world. Wow. Neat opportunity. He's and a very sharp young man, very eloquent in his speech. Well, let's he's come here, and he's <laughs> it, the nice thing. He's kind of put Phoenix uh, chapter under his wing. He's been here several times, really, to work with our brothers yeah. and talk to him. Uh, all the state officers for DMLA have been very good with us. They've come down and helped the kids with ritual, helped with competitions, and I'm I'm just amazed at how much time they're spending with us. <laughs> That's great! Wow. So, yeah, and that, and there hasn't been a, you said there hasn't been a DMLA chapter in the Phoenix Lodge for. 30s plus since, years? Yeah, since about the mid-80s. Mid-80s, okay. Yeah. That's kind of exciting. It was very active before that. Phoenix chapter was one of the largest chapters. Uh, we were fully regaled, uh, swords and capes and everything else. We probably would do eight of the uh, of the Rainbow Girls or Job's Daughters installations a year. 
as honor guard. And uh, we'd march in with our magnificent black capes with the red lining, silk satin lining on them, our swords, doing honor guard for the girls. Yeah, we had the uh, pleasure of having uh, the young man from, uh, was he from your Phoenix team? Phoenix what was chapter. Luke. Luke. Luke did the rose... Uh, the flower talk. Uh, the flower yes. talk at, at at our lodge, and it was phenomenal. This young man, just from beginning to end, remembered every single word and was just very impressive. Inside of two <clears throat> months, he was able to do what's equivalent to our first and second degree obligation. Wow! And uh, they get credit for that. They have there are two degrees only in uh, DMLA, initiatory degree and DMLA degree, and they both have an obligation. And he was able to just shoot those right out at a competition. In fact, if you go downstairs, you'll see three of the trophies that he got at our first conclave, which is our, their annual convention. And those in the dining hall in that yeah. cabinet? Okay. Only a few months after he became a DMLA. Wow. Extremely proud of him. I'm going to switch gears here because I don't want to forget this before the end of our interview, but one of the things I wanted to ask you about was the building we're in. And right now I'm sitting in Andrew's office in the Phoenix Temple, and this temple is about 10 years away from becoming 100 years old, so it's basically a 90-year-old building. Andrew, I know you know the history of this building very well. Can you tell us a little bit about the history here? Well, the building itself you know, was, didn't start break ground until 1925 and uh, finished in 26, but the actual plans for it were completed in 1921. Uh, roughly February of 1900, the brothers of number two were talking about raising enough funds. They were actually going out and looking at several properties around the valley and eventually settled on this particular piece, which eventually was across the street from uh, A.L. Moore and Sons Mortuary, who was also masonically bound. and. Uh, it went from there. We, we were in the building for a short period of time, and financial things got a little bit difficult. We were out of it. We were back in, helped by the Grand Lodge. And eventually, in, in 88, we created the Masonic Temple Association, and now it's the body of um, lodges in here that are owners of the building. And the, the, although Arizona Number 2 built it, there were a couple of founding lodges of the building, right? Actually, Arizona Lodge Number 2 built it, and eventually, uh, quite a few years later, we ended up with the York Rite, Scottish Rite, uh, Montezuma Lodge, several other lodges that were in here. Okay. Uh, about eight lodges have peeled off of Arizona Lodge Number 2 and created other lodges. In its heyday, we're talking the mid-60s, Arizona Lodge Number 2 had over 1,440 members. Wow. They were raising 65 Masons a year. Holy cow. They were meeting five days a week. No kidding. Yes. Wow. serious work. And in those days, it was really mouth to ear. So did they have more than one worshipful master then? There was no, only one. No. Wow. It's a lot but, of degree you know, work. <laughs> they did a lot of degree work, a lot of activity. And, uh, you know, off of that, uh, out of the eight lodges that had, been, had split off, only one's ever returned back to the fold, and that was Harmony 57, which I don't know if you know that familiar story. Uh, that's what I know that the flag is hanging here in your office. Correct. Well, right. when Arizona uh, Lodge was chartered, it was chartered out of California in 1879 as Lodge 257. Eventually, Harmony pe uh, peeled off as Lodge 57, and we were Lodge 2 oh. in Arizona. They were the only ones that came back to us. And they folded back in. They folded back in. 
Okay. And uh, some of the other lodges that peeled off Paradise Valley, Silver Trowel, well, Silver Trowel came out of number two, and they're now merged in with uh, Paradise Valley. There are quite a few others around the valley. I've, I've got a list that I go through and keep track of who's where and who founded what. It's always interesting. You know, KJZZ came down last year, and we did about two hours worth of interview. That's still on the web, by the way. I found it the other day. I listened <laughs> to that whole thing. It's still out there. It's kind of nice. If you search uh, masonry in Arizona, you will find it. Interview. Yeah, it's amazing. She does a lot of good interviews. She did the church across the way that uh, Terry Goddard owns. And, uh, you know, even the, the Baptist church, which is now Grace Church, was built after number two, uh, after this the Masonic Temple building. Uh, it's just too bad we don't have a Scottish Rite back in here again to give it a full-blown Masonic body. Right. Any and other? That may happen in the future. You never know. Uh, let me go back to your year as Worshipful Master. What's your favorite? You have. I know it's probably going to be hard to pick up, but what's your favorite memory from that time, or uh, you know, maybe something you're really proud of, proud of that you accomplished? Well. Uh, not necessarily me accomplished, but I'm extremely proud of the ritual work that the brothers have done. Uh, every one of the officers appointed and elected uh, got uh, elect proficiency cards so they could sit in one of the pedestal chairs if they were elected. Uh, we issued more proficiency cards than I've ever seen issued, I think 13 that year. Wow. Uh, even the Tyler opened and closed one day. Uh, I'm almost proud to say that I basically only sat in the east for stated meetings everybody else did a scramble and it was rare other than stated meetings that anybody sat in their own chair so the, they were working hard moving up taking on the challenge uh, we had a lot of good meetings i thought it was phenomenal the backing that i had for the year any other memories or history or anything you want to share in closing or any closing thoughts well in my earlier years it was interesting in number two to see how things moved along of course I was here when uh, uh, Bill Gerard was master of the lodge, and eventually became grandmaster. You know, John Crum, who was active here in this lodge, that was also a uh, grandmaster. Uh, it was interesting to see those people, and of course Larry Schaefer that came back and spent a lot of time here. It's always fun to be with the the I say the older guys. It's the guys that have got more history in the lodge. Right. You don't have to be old to have a lot of history in the lodge. Uh, you know, it's, it's almost uh, disheartening that I did not jump right from Demolay into the Blue Lodge and spend more time with it. That's what everybody's, everybody says. I wish I'd started earlier, younger. You know, I say the same thing. Everybody you know? has a life. You know, you right. get, get to build your family and get a job and go out in the, in the world. Uh, luckily now, I have enough time to spend here in the building with lodges and Talk to people, talk to candidates, talk to potential uh, potential ma uh, Masons, potential Demolay. Uh, you know, see things like the Ten Commandments walk for scouts that came through here. We were able to talk to a few of them about Demolay. Bill Gerard was here and read off the Fifth Commandment. And we all talked to them about Blue Lodge Masonry. Mm. Uh, I enjoy giving tours of the building. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I've heard a couple of guys say that's one of the ways they got involved. They came down, they got a tour, and they, that, that really, this building to me is so special. I remember the first time I walked in here, it just evokes this sense of grandeur. I mean, it may not be as grand as some of the other buildings back east or other places, but there's still a, a sense of awe when you come in this building. And in Arizona, it's one of the last few grand buildings. 
and uh, it it's it's really nice to be here. I feel at home in here. Me too. I enjoy working with everybody. You know, even the the tedious job of the secretary doesn't bother me. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Andrew, thank you very much for taking time to talk to me today. Thank you, Bo.